0: Welcome to another edition of Laugh, Lend and Eat with your host Bobby Nagmi. Bobby is the National Sales Manager for First Option Mortgage, as well as a contributing writer for multiple mortgage magazines. For this episode, we have Christine Beckwith, founder of 2020 Vision Your Success, along with a panel of her coaching staff. With coaching becoming more and more popular in the mortgage industry, we wanted to know what it takes for a mortgage professional to win in this market. So sit back, relax and enjoy this episode.
1: All right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Laugh, Lend, and Eat the Podcast. And my, oh my, we got a big episode here this time, guys. This is, uh, is going to knock everyone out of the ballpark. I'm telling you, I got the coaches, including Christine Beckwith herself, from 2020 Vision for Success. So guys, how are you all doing? Great. How do you guys like Great. being on the other end of the phone of this call now, huh? Uh, you guys normally on the other side asking questions
2: <laughs> yeah this is great so <laughs> we're all having podcast envy of your studio lighting because you just uh, way more professional
1: <laughs> it just means i got more time on my hands christine that's all it doesn't mean anything more than that so we have christine beckwith on here we have ray beefus we have michael hammond michael david chapman and ruth lee so all these guys are going to be answering questions for us um Some of it is related to mortgage industry. Some of it is not going to be related to mortgage industry. But the bottom line is, is we're going to try to dig deep into coaching uh, mortgage professionals. We're going to try to find out, you know, what's going on. Uh, I'm going to give you guys a little secret. Uh, The reason I was really adamant on doing this, um, this is the 24th episode, by the way, right? And when I first started this podcast a year ago, last January, um, my goal was to do 24 episodes in the year 2020. And obviously we all know what happened in 2020 right that you know 2020 happened yeah and so here we are we got to the 24th episode As I was getting closer to getting the 24th. I was like you know what I want to be with Christine and all the coaches and share with you all the success that we're having on life Linda neat because you guys are instrumental in in, in in pushing me and making me go outside of my normal boundaries um, and if I wasn't coaching with coaching with you guys I don't know if I would have made it this far so this is more about you guys pushing me and succeeding with me on this 24th episode of Laugh Linda Needs. So I appreciate you guys and all the all the work that you guys have done with me the past year.
2: Yay. It's like 24 karat gold. You know, Uh-oh. that's what comes. Did anyone else think of that when he said 24? I think that's great. I, I love that you did this. I think you have a really creative mind. Um, you've always had an an edge for marketing. I know that's your flair and that's what you navigate to and what you do so well. And um, I've seen the success, and even with the—I uh, know we're on air now, but even with the double berry booking, which is like that—you're <laughs> gonna have to just stay tuned in to to hear about that. But uh, you know, incredible podcast and incredible amount of guests, and I—I'm super thrilled that you picked us, and and all the people that are on here. I'm grateful for everybody else that is on here. Um, literally sitting here in the last 24 hours, just really thinking about like how far we've come and, and I know one thing we all have in common is, is, you know, the desire for our own growth and the desire for us to all find, you know, more and answers and, and stretching. And, you know, we all believe in that. We all give that at the same time, but I'm just grateful because, you know, picking people this year was not easy when I decided that I was going to expand the coaching uh, menu. And so, you know, I, I definitely felt like, it was really important that I get the right people that are culturally aligned, you know, with the same things that I want. And so the one common element, I think with everybody that you're going to see on here and this, this is a small representation. I mean, the coaching staff is big now. Mm -hmm. um, And I think we are at a point where we have six women and five men, which is incredible. And um, I will just tell you that, you know, absolutely all of these guys have kindness they're genuine and they're really experienced at what they're talking about.
1: You know what, Christine, you kind of preempted a question I had. So I'm glad you started this, you know, it's one of the best things about having Christine on the show. She just starts, boom, and then you yeah. have a conversation. Never be after. short words <laughs>
2: with me. <laughs> what,
1: I mean, you're, you're like, you're like the center of, you know, success 2020 or 2020 vision for success coaching, right? I got to figure out how to say that the right way what's the biggest challenge you see for your company going into 2021, right? Because I mean, you're a coach, right? Obviously you have your own game plan for 2021. I know you, and I know you wrote down a 36 month plan like mm-hmm. 15 years ago, Yeah. <laughs> right? That's not being executed.
2: Yeah.
1: One of the things about writing a plan is things change.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So what are you seeing as a challenge for you and your coaching school going into 2021?
2: Yeah, I think that the number one threat with 2021 coming for the company and any time ever that I look back in my career is evolving, you know, because we don't, the landscape changes as we, you know, and it certainly has this year. And so that certainly became true and we did have to pivot and we did have to change, you know, certain sales funnels and certain, you know, lead uh, mechanisms and the way that we reached, you know, people had to really shift, we were already virtual, but we really had to take, you know, take away the speaking and conventions and, and booths and places that you intermingle with people and, you know, insert the magazines, which become a national reach. Mm. Um, and so there was a lot of pivoting. So the, the short answer is evolution. You know, I know that in order and, and rel- relativity, you know, um, I think that we have to be meaningful to people's lives. And so the hardest thing I feel like I've been doing, and I can't wait, like I don't want my life to end, but I feel like at the end of my life, somewhere is going to be a deep sigh of like no longer <laughs> having to stand on my head and clap my feet to impress people. And and so I'm not saying I feel like I wake up that people expect me to impress them. I'm telling you that even with people volunteering to get in line, to drink the water of self-development, they don't always want to drink it. Yeah, And so that is absolutely the hardest thing um, as mm-hmm. a business owner is, is is keeping people engaged.
1: Michael Hammond, let me come to you. What do you think the reason is that most people don't want to be coached? Because it was a question I it was, by the way, you're muted. So you may want to mute before you answer the question. Um, but one of the things that I've always been guilty of also myself you know what i mean and and recently i talked to someone else about it most of us that are good in the business for three four five years i've been in 26 years now right often it feels like you don't need a coach right so what is a reluctance michael what do you think
3: well i think some of the reluctances is people think they've arrived or they think that their ego has to you know they have to have all the answers they've risen to a certain level within an organization they have a certain title and they feel now with that title, they have to have all the answers and they have to be able to just handle whatever situations thrown at them. And, and what I've learned is we have to be lifelong learners. You know, you look at professional athletes and every one of them mm-hmm. has a coach. You know, you look at golfers and they have a putting coach and they have a short game coach and they have a driving coach. You look at any sport, any top line athlete they still need to coach, you still need to learn. Uh, And business isn't any different. I think unfortunately, too many people think that as they're climbing up the corporate ladder, that they've figured out all of the answers. And I I think that's the furthest thing from the truth. I do a ton on social media and I'm taking a LinkedIn masterclass right now so that I can continue to fine tune my skills and improve. And I think if you talk to any of the other coaches on here, they're lifelong learners. And I think that's the key. If you find a lifelong learner, they're always looking for a way to improve, to be the best version of themselves.
1: Yeah, Ray, I mean, you're, I saw your title. You were like, uh, now if I get this wrong, I apologize. I didn't take good notes on this one. I just figured I knew you guys, so I could just jump in. <laughs> My that's, that's on me. Uh, but I think your coach, your title was executive life coach, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And so you're, you're dealing with, uh, I'm gonna just say this like a higher end, maybe more executive people. So is it difficult to open up their mind to coaching? Or I mean, do you get the same resistance as a loan officer or is it the same thing that you're finding?
4: Well, I think the more success somebody has, even at lower levels, the more they think uh, I'm golden. Look at all the money I've made, you know, the problem isn't me. And yet we all hit ceilings. And that's especially true, you know, for people who are building small businesses, Now the the economy is fire hosing the mortgage industry. So many people, uh, you know, looking to do something new with their house. And at points of stress, um, we start to bump in the limits of what we know and what our skills are. And so if I've been very successful, my tilt might be to blame others, blame the circumstances. And so coaches come along and just say, you know, are you the best you can be?
0: And oftentimes
4: that's where the gold is. But yeah, success sort of, uh, you know, uh, encourages us or tilts us toward uh, looking for people to blame as opposed to looking for opportunities to grow.
1: Sometimes it feels like people get rewarded for bad behavior also in this business. Like, I mean, I saw Casey Crawford recently on something else and he was talking about, I'll tell you a secret, there's a lot of money in this business. People are making a lot of money, Right. And I I do look at this and I say, you know, there is so much money in this business, especially the mortgage business, right? That I'm talking about in real estate that sometimes our bad behavior gets rewarded. And we're like, you know what? I don't need Christine Beckwith to tell me how to do business. I'm doing it. I'm closing, you know, seven units a month and I'm making 150 bips on $6 million, probably six million is too much for seven units, but 2 million a month, right? In production, I'm making 150 bips. I'm happy. How do you wake that guy up and say, dude, this is, you know, A, it's not going to last, right? We all know the refi is going to come to an end, but there's something bigger and better beyond this.
2: I definitely think that there's a lot of people that think coaching is for non-producers. You know, I think there is a a segment of mindset out there that's like, you get a coach to increase your production and only your production. And certainly when you build a coaching firm, if coaching enterprises are going to hire your firm, you better know the way to production because I mean, the core of what coaching in banking and, and brokering is, is is definitely going to lead towards production. But to understand what makes people productive, you have to also look at all the outliers and there is so much there to unpack. Are they mentally happy? I mean, Michael Chapman is our like on team counselor Mm -hmm. and he is like dealing with all kinds of different scenarios. And so, but these are things that sabotage success. He said it best, you know, like what sabotages your success? And so his coaching may have nothing to do with mortgage originations so much as let's talk about the things getting in the way of you having a functional workday and a focus on your business plan and that sort of thing. And so, you know, we're just, you know, of the belief. And I think, you know, looking at all things that, you know, I named this vision for success because I think everybody's is different. And that's the first thing we identify when people come here. We make them um, do an exercise that actually helps us understand what their future goals are. And we have a ton. This year's a great example Everybody's got production this year. I mean, it's hard to not shoot fish in a barrel this year And so you're accidentally picking up fish in the bucket. And so I would just tell you We've been busier this year than ever Because of all of those outlier effects on the production being so heavy That it's hurting teams that there's eq problems that there's frustration. There's exhaustion And there's a lot of things. How do I scale this fast? How do I, you know, satisfy the service Mm. inside? And because of that, our phone is ringing. So to circle back, I would tell you that I spend very little time trying to convince people why they should coach. If I get on a sales call and somebody's asking me to convince them, even if it's a first time person wanting to coach, and I'm happy to explain what coaching is and what it does and what we offer. But if I have to you know, impress upon a person, the reason for self-development, they're probably not ready to receive it. And I'm actually good with the pass on that because those are the people that end up wobbling, you know, uh, down the road and they don't quite understand exactly what they are. So many people are welcome to receive it, you know?
1: So Michael, Michael Chapman. My mm-hmm. rabbi. I know he's called himself the business minister, but I call him my <laughs> rabbi.
2: Because
1: <laughs> this guy, I mean, just for the record, bailed me out of the deepest, deepest hole I'd, I'd been in my 26 years in the mortgage business. I give all credit to this guy right here. Uh, I love him dearly. Ray Beef has used a word that I thought was pretty interesting coming from a coach. So I, this is what I do do. I'd write notes down, right? He used the word limiting, limits, people's yeah. limits. And the one thing that I, I realized when I work with you is you have an like an ability to find people what's limiting them and then have them focus on it and get it unblocked. Where does that come from, that vision that you have to find people's limitations?
5: Well, Ray is right. I mean, and I'm sure if I did, if I, if I listen to 25 minutes of Ray's story, Ray's probably had that. I don't want to put words into Ray's world or mouth, but um, one thing that's great about, one thing, and this is what separates typically coaching from like other things that help people like, like therapy is, is relatability. I mean, you think about um, the best coaches, you know, they typically, I mean, I'll probably get rocks on me in front of people. You think about a Bill Belichick. I mean, what, can you even tell me what he accomplished on field? You Probably can't, right? So typically it's relatability. So for me, like I can just hear myself a lot of times and it doesn't, Christine said it like, you know, I don't know what it means to write alone in your space. I'm sure I can learn, but I can hear when people are living in the words of I can't, I have to versus I am versus I get to. And it just, it just, it sticks out for me because I learned so much of that, um, that powerless victim, those victim words early in, in my life, just because no one told me differently. I mean, it's just the way the, world. I mean, you grew up in this world without somebody like giving you some, some guidance. I mean, it's, it's tough to find, um, it's tough to not find victimhood and so uh, there are legitimate and, and this is the, some of the work that I, there's legitimate stuff where we've been victimized and then there's some that we we just like i did for years you love victimizing yourself
1: is there it's a more blueprint comfortable. is there a blueprint that you that you can see most professionals that are successful kind of trap themselves in a blueprint of mental yeah torture i guess
5: uh i don't know if it's a blueprint but it's some it's it's this this may be this may open up a can and and may may find some disagreements here it's 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 things that we've all heard that i heard like here's one follow your heart you know out of context that's like the worst advice ever because like the you know the heart is fickle like you know she she doesn't think i'm good looking anymore so i'm gonna go follow my heart i mean like i understand that you know you know our heart i mean it's just terrible advice follow your heart it's like. It just sound I hate, like I hate when they tell me, the do path. the
1: right thing, do the next right thing. I, it's like, I don't know what the next right thing is. So I'm asking you, what's That's the right next right. The right drives thing?
5: Drives me bonkers. Here's <laughs> one. Kindness for, it doesn't cost anything to be kind. And I'm thinking, no, wonder do we don't have more kindness? Like it's so, the, we've lowered the bar with these, and I'm guilty of it, these Instagram anecdotes. I mean, the bar, I mean, I get intrinsically what that means. If I'm kind to Michael Hammond, it's free to him. But if I had to swallow my ego or not roll my eyes, you know, you think about the the couple at dinner.
2: Yeah. You
5: know, she rolls his eyes, she rolls her eyes in front of the two kids because he's doing, he's doing it again. I mean, that's an act of kindness to not do that. That's not free. She's got to bite her tongue, her effing tongue. Question back
1: back to you, just real quick. If you can answer this, if you can, I don't know. How do you pinpoint those things when you're talking to a professional? How is that ability? where do you get that ability to say, boom, here's your problem. You, you know, I'll, I'll be very blunt, very candid with you guys. Michael said to me, Fabi, you get offended too easily. I was like, me? Offended? Never.
2: <laughs> As you're offended by him saying
1: that you get offended right. by
4: saying
1: that. And it, all, it was like, I, I looked in the mirror and I was like, shit, I am offended all the time. You offended me. <laughs> How do you do that, Michael? Tell the group here. I mean, what, 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 I mean, no one ever told me that before in all my career.
5: I used to be so offended. <laughs> I was, I, I lived, I'm look, I lived three and something decades in a constant perpetual state of what you had in a season. I had in a lifetime. And to be fair, I had a, I had a good reason to be like that early on, but to stay like that past the age of 2021, 20, it was trained behavior. Yeah. We live in uh, an offensive world. And unless you, I think it's just, and, and, I, and I, leaked, I usually try to, I don't remember, I don't remember being that direct with you. I thought I asked a few questions first, but are you very but, I,
1: I liked it. I liked it. I needed it. You can hear it. Neither I think no people relate here, to right? that. Yeah. yeah. Right, Christine. I mean, yeah, I
2: mean, yeah, I, like someone was said yesterday that I am the, you know, my per, describing my personality as a dichotomy. And they said that I, I said, are you saying bipolar? Or are you saying dichotomy? <laughs> <laughs> and they said that one side of me is like super kind, nice, genuine, emotional. And then I got this hard edge, right? On the other side. But, they went on, you know, I let them finish, of course. And they said that, you know, that's probably really well, you know, served in business. And it's true. You know, you, you know, there has to be limits. I think, you know, Ray and I were actually talking yesterday a little bit about assertiveness and its benefits in business. And, you know, I think there has to be, I feel like this, I, I will be assertive with kindness. Like I will always, I will assert myself, but I will try to do that in a manner that is is complimentary as I can. Um, and so, you know, none of us are perfect, but I think in the world of leadership and, and coaching that these people that are coming to us, my greatest leaders, I'll, I'll flip this around a different way. Instead of me, it being about what I'm giving to others in advice. In my lifetime, just as Michael just said, in his lifetime, he had unlearned certain behaviors. In my lifetime, my greatest growth came from those leaders that hit me between the eyes with the hard stuff. And, and that's when I stopped, even in hurt, offense, retreating, you know, and would sit with it and often come to terms with the truth of the statement and then, you know, allow myself to process it and come back. I, I knew at some intersection in my life, I was going to be the unteachable. If I didn't prove that beyond my ego, I could take critical advice and apply it and change. And so I think I was 27 years old when I got hit with a really hard piece of professional advice from a guy I really looked up to and it killed me. And I can remember just being, you know, in a bad place for Mm. a few days. And then I came back and watching his reaction to my evolution and willingness to try new things that he said I needed to develop and his excitement that I was receiving that was one of the greatest lessons because I realized then that his heart had always been there. What, what I thought was hurting words and was kind of mean and offensive, he was saying to me in a loving manner because he wanted to see me be successful. And yeah. that lesson actually taught me how to be more assertive myself because as long as I'm driving from a purpose-filled place without sounding corny, if my benefit in giving someone a piece of hard criticism is to help them be a better person, or let them know the way that they are, or something, then I—that's good. I never say something that that takes away from somebody, you mm. know.
1: Ruth, we haven't hit you yet, so we'll come to you, Ruth. I know you've been nodding and laughing on these little—I love these little tiles because I can see everybody, right? Um, right now, you are—I think—the newest coach for 2020, right? I- I am, and and I think you, from what I could tell from your bio, you you kind of focus on loan officers and and taking the ne- next level. Or I, I'm I'm totally off base there. <laughs> Career
2: succession.
1: Career succession. Okay.
2: Talking to people about
6: how they, you know, young managers, middle level managers, as well as getting to the C-suite. There's always this tiered evolution in how you build on your skills. And you know, you start as a younger manager. Some people get blasted right to the Mm
0: C-suite.
6: Unfortunately, they're really challenged. And I'm gonna go back to one of the things that y'all said, but my Approach. And the reason that I avoided coaching was fear of weakness. Okay. This grand fear, because I'm a high potential executive, I'm supposed to have those answers. And to say out loud that I don't know them means that I'm showing weakness. And my fear was that that was all of a sudden going to break down this whole thing that I have built around my career. And, you know, I'm always the one with the answers. I always, and that was when I read something from Christine, which was about imposterism. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
6: I completely broke. I was like, wow, she just pointed right at my soul and said, stop being mean to yourself stop sitting there and and thinking that you're an imposter and especially as a woman you know i've kind of gone through all of these where you know you have to claw and fight etc but you know where i really want to be is and to what i want to expose people to is how to challenge their assumptions how you know really to build on it's not weakness that says that you need more it's actually a, a form of strength and that has been a huge huge turn for me since I've started working with Christine in 2020 vision.
1: So Ruth, in in your situation, I mean, when you're in that fear, when you're in that mode, Ruth Lee herself, right? Are you still, are you still asking for coaches help in your life as you're going through this motion?
6: Well, that was kind of the reason that I chose coaching was like, I was at a place where I just needed to stretch myself and you know i i've I've done really well as an executive i feel really confident in that role but there was something inside where i just my level of satisfaction with it had started to really plateau and so i felt like it was time for me to hit this next level and michael hammonds i'm sure you're like pointing at your next level (laughs) but you know it's it's for me you know i i knew that I'm 49. I'm not finished with my career, and neither am I at my pinnacle. And so I started challenging my assumptions and really started to do some work on myself. And that was another thing, is I felt guilty about investing in myself. I felt really guilty, that I was taking away from my family by investing in myself by doing this.
1: Okay. So, Ray, are you still using coaches? Yeah. This is a question of the old
6: panel, by the way. Well said, Ruth. Yeah, I mean –
1: Absolutely.
4: Yeah. I mean, doctors have doctors, dentists have dentists, coaches have coaches in order to stay on top of their stuff.
2: I have picked Ray as a coach. I I joked with him. I I demoted him the other day on a call because I said, we're like hairdressers. We do each other's hair (laughs) on our off time. And, and Ray's like, I did Christine's hair. And so like, you know, and, and everyone laughed, but you know, it's that theory. I have a coach. Uh, you know, I'm not afraid to say I have a counselor. I have, you know, these guys. Um, and I definitely approach, you know, the, my life in a way, I definitely feel like you can't be a good coach unless you're willing to receive as well. I w I don't know that I would have ever ventured into this field if I hadn't had some really incredibly humbling things occur in my life where I always knew I loved to teach. I always had a, you know, penchant for teaching and training and that sort of thing. But I was much more attracted to the shiny objects mm. of money and trophies and all of the things that the banking world coughs up when you get into sales. And so I rode that that road for a really long time and and pushed my limits and, 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 and found my way. And along the way, you know, the car ran off the cliff a couple times, uh, thanks to markets, bad markets, you know, and, and, you know, you crashed the car and you had to pick the pieces back up and start over. And I would ask God in those times in my life, why is this happening right now? And, um, I had some personal things in my life. You know, my mom fell from a brain aneurysm Mm. and, you know, terrible process of, you know, coming back and my father got prostate cancer and I have a sister that's fighting terminal lung cancer that's only a couple of years older than me. And, um, you know, these things that happen in life, you know, tend to bring you to your knees and, and also calibrate your eyesight towards what success in life really means. Mm. And when those things happened for me, it was life-changing and it took me off the road I was on and put me on this road. And so now, you know, I feel like my cup runneth over really. And I, and I mean that in the, in the most, you know, intimate way, yeah. like my ROI yeah. daily is coming from, you know, counseling and coaching and, you know, behind all of this, you know, extra stuff that we've created that I'm so proud of that we have for professionals in our space. You know, we built a a real curriculum school and that challenged me, you know, having to get in the studio and think of, okay, in 30 years, what were the greatest lessons I would need to, you know, teach and so on and so forth.
1: Michael Hammond, let me come to you because I think this is kind of in your forte or wheelhouse, I should say. (laughs) I'll I'll never forget this. About four years ago, I met a regional meeting. I was a regional at that time. And they were going around the room, asking questions and stuff. And one of the regionals, which I'll not name at this time, <laughs> he said to the to the to whoever our boss was at the time that he had his business plan in his head and he made this little, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? That it was right here. This is where he was business plan. I haven't forgot that, right? Like in all these years, I can still see that in my head. And I still chuckle about that. How important is it to get it out of our head and actually put it on a piece of
3: paper? It's vitally important. And so many times as I'm doing the coaching sessions, people say, I really want to grow. I want to add people. And they don't have any of it mapped out. And until you start putting it down on paper and still you, until you start mapping it out, you really don't have focus and clarity, right? You have this gut instinct. It used to drive me crazy. I would lead a lot of sales teams and the salesperson would say, oh, that deal feels really good. And then I would ask them some quantitative things. Did you do a demo yet? Well, no. Have you talked about pricing yet? No. Well, then shut up. It's not a deal. <laughs> that, that deal's going nowhere. I don't care about your gut instinct that it feels good. And I think that happens with a lot of people as they try growing their business. If it's all up here, mm-hmm. for one, it's probably you don't have the focus or the clarity that you need. Two, you really have not created a duplicatable system What happens if you get hit by a bus? What happens if, you know, in today's world, you came up with COVID? Could the person second in charge in your organization run with that? Nope. Mm -hmm. Sorry, it was in your head. You didn't have it written down. You don't have it mapped out. (laughs) And so if you look at the bigger picture and say, I want to create duplicatable processes, I want to create long-term sustainability and growth you've got to start putting it down in paper, you've got to start visualizing where this is going, and then you got to look for help. And when you have that in paper, some of the best coaching sessions I've had is when you start asking those questions and they come back to you the next session and they're like, see what I did? I mean, I mapped all of this out and they're like, hey, you were right, I don't need another processor, but I need a new loan coordinator because I'm only using a processor for four hours a day, but my loan coordinator is working 13 hours
1: yeah yeah
3: Then the light bulb moment happens because they took the time to put it in writing and they have it mapped out keeping on that same topic is it
1: critical when we put the business plan down on paper is that how we can then scale upward so if the business plan says i'm going to do five loans a month this is how i can then in my head at least i can see going from five units to 20 units and this is that i
3: need to scale up up from there is that right or wrong it's part of the process right when you start putting it in writing you've got to remember that you're on this journey so just cuz i write it down and say okay i'm going to hit 2 billion this year that in and of itself hope itself is not a strategy you then got to figure out what are the steps and you start working your way backwards okay if i'm going to get from 5 million to 20 million if i'm going to get from 20 million to 100 million as an organization that may be the big, hairy, audacious goal, but then from there, you've gotta start working your way backwards to how am I gonna get there? What are the steps involved in making that happen? Um, so you've gotta have it in writing, it's it's a starting point, but then you've gotta also understand that it's a living, breathing document. If we asked any of the coaches on this uh, session today, how did your goals look like when you wrote them down at the start of 2020 and how have they changed today? Yeah radically we've all had to pivot we've all had to shift and change if we're going to stay relevant and keep things moving forward
1: that's kind of a loaded question in 2020 though isn't it
3: <laughs> any other
1: year you could you could say pivot but i think in 2020 everyone ducked fell and then got back up again
3: <laughs> yeah but you've got to remember too every, we can say that because everyone's dealing with covid right but if you take covid out of the equation everyone else is dealing with something right Other. It's a challenging situation with a spouse, the loss of a loved one, someone else is ill. Your kid's not necessarily listening to what you're doing. I think we can all relate because we all are experiencing COVID. We may be experiencing it a little bit differently, but every year, the mortgage industry, what happens if your whole business, if 90% of your business is refi in 2020? Mm -hmm, Take mm -hmm. COVID out of the equation. Is 2021 going to look different?
1: Yeah, good point. Great point. Ray, what happens when you, when you got a guy whose whole life has fallen apart? He was an executive. His whole life fell apart because he made the bad business plan that you guys all signed off on. Where do you, where do you take that guy?
4: Well, I mean, you got to start somewhere. So you help them prioritize, you know, what, what are the pieces that are not working anymore? What's the system that's breaking down? And then how do we prioritize our steps into the future? But with every client, I'm asking what's most important at this moment in her life or his life? Mm-hmm. And then what's standing in the way? And then thirdly, the, the big question is what makes it hard for this person? So we have six people and you know, this is hard for this person. It wouldn't be hard for other people. So what's making it hard for that person? And so I think all of us as coaches start with the person. Where are they at? What's in their way? And what is it about their beliefs or their assumptions or their practices that's making it hard right now? And then as Michael did with you, I mean, we offer hope mm-hmm. that as we start taking specific steps into the future, you can put anything back together.
1: Yeah. I've always, I've always loved this one saying that once you hit bottom, that's the greatest place to be because there's only one way to go up. You know, it's indeed,
4: up, indeed. You know, So
1: bottom is not a bad place to be sometimes. Ruth, accountability, when I think about coaching, that's the first word that I think about is accountability. I mean, how do you hold your, I guess, clients? Is that the right way to say this guy's clients? (laughs) I've never thought about that word before. How do you hold your clients accountable? I mean, if they say I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, what's the process that you're going to hold them accountable to X, Y, and Z?
6: Well, and as a new coach, I don't have a lot of clients that I've walked through this process. But in my career, Mm -hmm. I've had, I mean, everyone that I ever worked with, you know, I always told them, I want you to be stronger, faster and better when you leave than the day you showed up. And the way that I do that is by holding them accountable to everything that they commit to, as well as to what, and that's whether they commit it to themselves, to me, um, to the company. You know, one of the great things about an end is it's always a new beginning. And, you know, you can walk through the door or you can sit there and, you know, have a pity party, but at the end of the day, you're either accountable and I can't really hold somebody accountable. I can just show them their accountability to themselves, oh. you know, and, and what are you going to bring to yourself? Do you think you're worth it? Mm. You know, you brought these goals to me. Do you think you're worth achieving them? Because if you're not trying to achieve them, then your accountability is just kind of at the end. And one last thing I want to say is I've always said in the mortgage business, you can reinvent yourself as of tomorrow. And it's one of the great things that we have in three weeks, you can be making money if you turn it around. And that's just the truth. I'm sure that there are other industries, but this is the one I know.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's, it's a fair statement. Mr. Chapman come to you real quick. Oh, true. How, easy is it to turn you around like when when i come to you when i came to you and we had our little session i keep talking about me and you i'm sorry because it's the one i know really well how easy i mean is everybody that easy or are there more difficult cases to you know to ruth's point turn around like hey you told me you were going to do this i'm only holding you accountable to what you said
5: i mean i have i have one client that's in your space that um, and I see this a lot and maybe you guys can chime in um, more seasoned mortgage professionals, but people that have been in the mortgage industry forever, but never served in a traditional sales organization. So like they came to the mortgage industry from engineering or some of the background, but they never like from day one, they got you know, sort of, they threw themselves or thrown into a, uh, a feast or famine environment, probably a feast environment, they're doing so well, they never really had to be accountable to a traditional, like, you know, from embryo to birth sales, you know, process. Um, those people are, are not so easy because they look at, they look at what they have. There is a pain point, right? They need to hold themselves accountable to do stuff every day, sales stuff, make calls, follow up, whatever. Uh, those are not as easy. I would trade the word Easy for easier. It is easier to help anybody get breakthrough when I wouldn't even say it are at the bottom, but but they are you know, I always do this exercise with you know, it's like how do I, how quick can we get their hands open? Mm. You know, the, the metaphor is you can't really put a lot into a clenched fist. And so if the heart or hand is like that, if I can sit, you can hear it in the words, speak, you know, when you hear. You know i'll use christine you know christine you know ray said it but christine my wife my husband you know if you hear a lot of that you know it's going to be like that um but typically when that, when there's a softening of the hands as they come into it or you can ask questions that that soften up it is easier it is not easy but it's easier when there's when the hands are when they're starting to like the, the grip is you can hear it in the word speak
3: yeah
2: What's been really fun, if I, I'm going to jump in, he's, he's sure. not going to be able to ask me any questions because I'm just going to always comment, yeah. is watching, like I'm a student of these guys too. Like watching them, because even though I'm an experienced leader in this industry, I'm a new coach, relatively speaking. And so I have to say, like when we built this company, you know, there's fundamentals to counseling, you know, reading and writing and speaking are three things that are, you know, commutative and also reparative. And so what I've watched with these guys is how much they do in the realms of those three areas, like talking what Michael Chapman is saying, you know, I, he has this incredible reaction with his clients, our clients that go to him, um, because he gets into areas of talking. They aren't, used to talking about or haven't talked about sometimes in some instances, their whole lives, Mm -hmm. you know, some of them wouldn't traditionally think of going to counseling through their health insurance or other means. And they stumble upon us for their businesses. And then the next thing they know, they are hands away from a resource that they really desperately need. And now is much more subtly introduced for them in a private, you know, manner and allows them to talk. I know Ray gives homework, you know, to these guys, and I know Michael does as well. And they give them tools, and so there's writing tools, and there's, you know, actions and actionable, uh, you know, things that are occurring. And so it kind of is interesting to draw back on like all the things that help heal us. You know, writing, reading, talking. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's really an incredible thing to see. Christian, I want
1: to stay with you for a second. Something interesting happened last weekend. And it was getting ready for this, sh- this panel, right? So I'm writing all these th- thoughts and everything in my head, right? Because I'm like that guy in the regional. I have everything in my head. <laughs> so I'm watching football. It's all there. <laughs> right. I don't want to name the teams because I'm going to get angry. <laughs> then. <laughs> it was fourth and inches. <clears throat> the offense decides to go for it. Right? It's a hard count,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: The defense gets jumps and gets offsides first down for the offense, right? Right. I'm using a lot of football lingo. So hopefully people can catch up with me. How do you train somebody for the obvious? Like, it's going to be a hard count. Don't jump. Wait right. for the ball to move because you're going to give them five yards of the first down. I mean, so I looked at that in the mortgage business. Like, there's obvious things that we as a loan officer, manager, you know what I mean? How do you train somebody for don't do the obvious mistake?
2: Yeah, You know, a lot of times we don't get people before they make the mistakes. You know, sadly, we're looking at the play on the playback in the locker room and we're saying, what did we do wrong here when we, you know, jumped here and we lost the ball or we intercepted or so, you know, interestingly about coaching is a lot of times we're coaching backwards to go forwards, if that makes sense, where we're looking at the replay reel so that we can make the next plays in a better way. And so I I would tell you that, you know, there's a couple of things I ask for people to do with me when they start and that's to be honest and to trust that I, you know, am, you know, a place of confidential uh, and care, um, that they can talk and and work these things out and that we can go as, you know, as deep as they want to talk about things and things kind of naturally unravel. When they're willing to authentically share their weaknesses, or even share a mistake they feel that they've made, a lot of times, you know, they know the answers to correct. They're looking for affirmation. And the interesting thing about coaching is when you get people that want finite black and white answers, when people come and say, but what is the right decision? Mm-hmm. And, you know, should I leave my current company and go to this other company? And of course, you can put them through exercises, pros, cons, weigh all the things, make sure they have a broad vision and they don't have tunnel vision for the one reason, emotional reason. Mm -hmm. They might be leaving a place and not looking at the bigger picture. But really, this is what I tell people all the time is we can never lose on any decision that we make if we lean in and commit fully to the choice that we make. And so, so many times individuals aren't present in their life. I know people all around me. I see it every day in my coworkers, sometimes in my family and even in friends Mm -hmm. where they want to be somewhere they're not, Where where they're at this place and they're wishing they were at this place or they're hurrying their day long. They're at the morning thing, but they can't wait for church to end to get to the lunch. Then, when they're at the lunch, they can't wait to get home to watch the movie. And then, when they get home to watch the movie, they can't wait for the six o'clock. And they're just willing, they're willing their hungry. time away every day, all day.
1: I feel like you're spying on me, Christine. I'm always like rushing through this place. Yeah. If I get done there, I'm rushing over there. I'm like, and then one day I said to myself, why am I rushing all the time? I mean, it's, it's hard. Like, rush, rush, rush.
2: I think the bigger thing is to just tell people when you observe that is the, you know, to stay present as best that they can to try really hard, you know, to, to not, uh, you know, wish yourself into, you know, Mm. circumstances. If people really give it their all in any decision that they make, and they totally commit, there are no wrong choices. And and that's the truth. You know, you just have to really leap. I look now at what I just did, and it takes my breath away. When I really realized that the the cliff I had to jump over coming out of where I was to here, yeah. I don't know that I could do it again. I don't know if I have a second run across that valley the way I just did it. Looking back now that I'm on the other side, I'm like, holy crap, I just did that. Yeah. But you just have to put your head down and I just, you know, I just know you have to stick with where you're going. You have to keep your head down and keep going.
1: Michael Hammond, real quick, Christine said something and I kind of picked up on it. I want to dive a little bit and we're running so at it. I can't believe how quickly this interview has gone by. It's crazy. So a lot of times in life, you know, we're afraid for me, I should say, I'm afraid to do something because I'm afraid it's going to fail or make mistakes. Right? Yep. And then as I was, Christine was talking, I do know why, I said to myself, you know what? A lot of times I make mistakes and it still ends up okay. Right, I mean, is there a time that you can think about where you made you
3: might have made a mistake, but at the end it all worked out the way it's supposed to? Well, I think we. we- we obviously all make mistakes. I, I don't think there's enough time on this podcast to list all the mistakes I've made in my life and in my career, whether that's personally. I think Michael should list that's...
2: them. Michael, will wait for you to list them. No, like, <laughs>
3: Thank you, Christine.
2: I appreciate that encouragement. Little, little so, coaching
3: humor. Have a one-on-one with so, Bobby. The first mistake was we, me making that comment right now, but secondly, um, I had one of my mentors uh, has been John Maxwell. He's written a ton of books. I had the chance to be personally mentored by him. And he wrote a book a number of years back called Failing Forward. Uh, and it, it has a number of great principles that you're not always gonna hit your goals. You may try and really put yourself out there to accomplish something and fail miserably. Whether that's leading your team and you took a step of faith and you pushed them a little too hard and maybe it didn't work out well. But if you fail forward, if you learn from that experience, mm-hmm. Great things can come from that, right? You know, a lot of people say, oh, I've been in the mortgage industry 20 years. I have this great experience. Well, if you didn't learn anything in each one of those individual years, then it's basically you have one year of experience in the mortgage industry. You've just been doing the same damn thing, the same dumb thing for 20 years in a row. Uh, If you have learned experience and learned experience doesn't always have to be myself learning and I can learn from other people, right? We tell our kids, don't touch the hot stove. Now, some of them are very hard headed and they might, they're might they gonna touch the hot stove and they'll learn they'll never do that again. But a number of people can learn when somebody says, Fobby, don't touch that hot stone. It's gonna burn your hand. It's gonna really hurt. So mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in learned experiences. Uh, if you can fail forward and learn from it, think of how many times, a lot of the biggest challenges or struggles in our careers Turned out to be probably the best thing that ever happened. I took over as CEO of Mortgage Cadence. I was flying every Monday through Friday from Michigan to Detroit. I had a young family, was trying to build a house in Denver and the mortgage meltdown hit. Wow. Awesome. Couldn't sell my house here. Didn't want to just throw the keys in, right? I thought I hit the pinnacle of my career. Finally, you know, I was the the youngest CEO in the history of that company. I was super fired up and it all comes crumbling down. Now, if you lean into it, that's when Next Level Advisors was formed and we've been in business now for 13 years and it was excellent. the greatest thing that ever happened. Excellent. Going through that experience, I didn't feel that at the time, yeah. but leaning in, learning from those failures and failing forward, great things can happen.
1: Guys, we are coming to an end and that was such an excellent story. Uh, I can't believe how quickly this time went by. I, 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 this could have been a two-hour event. Um, I wanted to go around real quick, as quick as possible because I want the audience to get something from this that is tangible. So I want one tip that any loan officer could do for 2021. I mean, just one tip, one tip. And we'll start off with Christine and we'll go around. And that's the way my screen is set up. I'm sorry. (laughs) So Christine, just one tip that a loan officer could execute today that could change their 2021 for them.
2: Yeah, I I right now I'm telling professionals, obviously, to pay attention to their core business, which, you know, is their purchase uh, and realtor affiliated business. But even more than that, because of the year that we've had, I'm telling them to be mindful in building their business plans in 2021 so that they truly have a work-life balance. Um, And I think there is a lot of people this year that are suffering from not taking care of that. Mm. And, um, so I just hope that, you know, they can figure out what that looks like. And in a way where it's hard not to pick every apple up off the ground in this industry when the, when, when the harvest comes and yet, you know, I think it's vital that we not neglect things that are going to be costly, you know, marriages, children's advice, you know, and just this time, this God given time that's been put before us this year in a weird, weird way. I'm not going to change my company name just because it's 2020. I've had to suffer through that. I thought I was brilliant in December of 2019. And now I've paid that, uh, paid that 12 months over. So thanks for having us today.
1: No, no. Ray, what about you? One tip for a loan officer or executive, maybe.
2: Yeah, well, I would just say get a coach. Wow. I
4: mean, we, all, we all know what we know. I love that. We, some of us know what we don't know. But, so we know some experts we check with, but it's that area where we don't know what we don't know that we, uh, we're, there's gold buried there, and there are also traps hidden there. And so to invite another, another person, particularly an outsider, to put their eyes and ears on your world, you'll discover things that you don't know that you don't know.
1: Excellent tip, excellent tip. Ruth Lee,
6: one tip. I would say make sure you are working on your business as much as you are working on your files. And because your business is what will extend through 2021, the wickle file, it'll be gone in two weeks.
1: Mm. Good point. Good point. Michael Hammond?
3: I'm a firm believer that no matter where you're in an organization, everything rises and falls on leadership. And so if you want to improve your leadership for 2021, go volunteer at a a volunteer organization where nobody has to listen to you. And then you'll really find out what kind of leadership chops you have. When they can walk out when they don't have to listen to you when all your volunteers are gone you learn very quickly how to engage how to work with people it's probably the best school i've ever seen for growing leadership skills
1: what a great point what a great point mr chapman
5: yeah go teach sunday school or, or try to get a bunch of sunday school teachers to show up on sunday morning <laughs> right michael exactly um yeah, I, great point. I, I think yeah, I mean, just for the industry, you know, but for anybody. But, you know, right now, the, the mortgage industry is a great place to be for the obvious. And so if there's pressure, uh, pressure is always a good thing, especially when your optics are right-sized. And I would say if you've got pressure that you don't know the the, the genesis or where it's coming from and it's sort of like, well, it's, you know, you know, I can't turn them fast enough, blah, 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 blah. It's time to do a values assessment. And that's back to Ray. I mean, sometimes we need somebody to say, uh, those are not your values, Christine. Your values are really this. From what you just told me, these are not. So a values assessment, especially if you're bouncing off somebody who, again, who is unemotionally or is emotionally unbiased to the outcome, which is typically a coach, can be very helpful. Because it'll, it'll clear you up really quick, typically. all right. What are well, your values now?
1: I have one yeah. question for you guys. So if you can help me out here, I thought I'd ask you guys. So I'm going to share my screen with you guys. So listen, if you're listening on the podcast, go to YouTube and figure this out, okay? So this is a marketing question for you geniuses. So this is the thing that we put together. We have two options for our cover, right? So this is option one. Can anybody see it, by the way? Yeah. I assume you guys can all see this, right? I'm hoping you can see it. So we got that one. And then we got option number two, which is this one. So give me your pick.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Go with the cartoon.
1: Hopefully you guys can see option number two, right? <laughs> Raise guy got-
2: <laughs> I think it's good because Dixie didn't come Ruth. on, and I think that looks like Ruth. So I. <laughs> <laughs> I, may
1: to get, I may have to get my marketing guy to redo uh, Ruth's face on that one. No,
2: no, it's great. It's really great. That's the yeah. That's. Great. I wanted
1: to give you guys something special because once again, you guys are the 24th episode. This was my goal for 2020. <laughs> Uh, you guys have been incredible in my life. I appreciate every single one of you guys. Um, and, and I know that you guys are all doing your best for our, all of us on, on, on the 2020 schedule. Uh, and I know that I wouldn't have been here without you guys. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on Laugh, Lend, and Eat. Uh, this has been an amazing episode for me. Like, I'm, I'm not joking when I tell you guys, I, it feels like it's been five minutes. It, hasn't, it doesn't feel like it's been like, I guess, 45 minutes at this point. So we've gone way over I know Michael's got a heart stop to at three o'clock. So thank you all once again. Have a good day.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Bobby.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Laugh, Lend, and Eat the podcast. Once again, thank you to our sponsors, First Option Mortgage and One Good One Staffing Services. We have enjoyed all the comments we have been receiving. Please keep them coming. To be notified of any updates, Please be sure to subscribe to Laugh, Lend and Eat on the listening platform of your choice. Thank you for listening and have a great day.